The following sermon is from New Life Baptist Church, where we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Jesus. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at newlifeba.org. Well, church family, we have made it this Advent season. We have metaphorically been journeying our way to Bethlehem. We have been anticipating the day when the Christ, when the Savior of the world was born. And now the time has come and we have arrived. And so turn with me if you have God's word, either in physical form or on your phone. Turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and we'll be in verses 14 through 18. During this Advent season, we've been working our way through John chapter 1. In the first week, we saw that His light is our life. And then the second week, we saw that His light is our purpose. And then last week, as we saw that that Jesus came to make us children of God, we saw that His light is our belonging. But church, this morning we will see the true reason, the heart of why Christ has come. We will see that his light, it is our redemption. And so read with me, if you have God's word with you, read with me John chapter 1 verses 14 through 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, my prayer this morning, it is singular. And that is that you would awaken us to your glory. That Holy Spirit, you would cause within us to... See with the eyes of our hearts the truth that the eternal word, the one who created all things, the one who created us, he condescended to become one of his creation for us and for our salvation. And so I pray, Holy Father, that you would, by your spirit this morning, awaken, illumine, open the eyes of our hearts to see the glory of Jesus. I ask this in his name. Amen. And so maybe if you are wondering what the meaning of Christmas is, it is summarized in those first four words of our passage. The word became flesh. The one who transcends time, he stepped into time. The one who created all things became one of his creation. The one who had no beginning, church. He was the one who was born in Bethlehem. Or or maybe to put it a bit more philosophically, the one who always is 
became. As one Christmas song put it, who could have dreamed or ever foreseen that we could hold God in our hands? The one who gave life to Mary became the son of Mary on that Christmas morning. The word became flesh. But notice what else John says, that Jesus, he didn't come to subjugate us and to rule over us. And he didn't come to judge us, though he would have every right to do so. In church, make no mistake, he will return one day when we pray very soon, and he will come to judge. But John says that in his first coming, in his first advent, Jesus, he came not to judge us, but to dwell among us. He came not to just bear up with us. No, he came to be with us. There are a lot of descriptions of Jesus in the Gospels, but one of my favorite descriptions and one that fills me with probably the greatest hope is that Jesus, he was described as a friend of sinners. He came to be with us, to dwell, to reside, to make his home among us. King of glory, he came, not out of duty or out of obligation. No, he came willingly. The perfect and holy one desired to dwell with sinners. Jesus came, he dwelt among mankind. And John says, as a result, we have seen his glory. But, but we have to ask this question. What, what kind of glory did John and the other disciples, what kind of glory did they see of Jesus? Well, in, in prophesying of Jesus' coming to this earth, hundreds of years prior, the prophet Isaiah said this about the Messiah, that, that he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. And, and so based upon this prophecy and by all accounts in the Gospels, I think it's safe to say that Jesus' physical appearance was unassuming. He was a regular, plain-looking, Galilean guy. In coming to this earth, Jesus humbled himself so much so that he chose to look physically as one among many. And so if it wasn't Jesus' physical glory that John and others beheld, if it wasn't his outward stature or status that they saw, what kind of glory here is John talking about? Well, it was the glory of his holiness and how he refused and refuted the temptations of Satan in the wilderness with the word of God. It was the glory of his mercy and compassion. And how he constantly healed the blind, the sick, and the lame. It was the glory of his generosity. And how he constantly, day after day, served others and gave of himself even to the point of physical exhaustion. It was the, the glory of his Humility and his lowliness and how he associated with the outcast and the unlovely and the unclean. It it was the glory of his power and how he calmed the raging seas and how he raised men to life with just his spoken word. It was the glory of his excellencies and how he would leave people astonished in them saying he does all things well. It was the glory of his gentleness and how he always welcomed the children to come to him. 
It was the glory of his courage and his conviction and how he proclaimed the truth no matter the cost. It was the glory of his wisdom with people saying after he would teach, never has a man spoken like this before. It was the glory of his patience and how he was forbearing with the ignorance and sin of his disciples. It was the glory of his miracles and how he turned water into wine and how he took five loaves and two fish and fed 20,000 people with leftovers for people to take home. It, It was the glory of his communion with the Father, so much so that it led the disciples to ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. It was the glory of his obedience and how he always always perfectly submitted to the will of the Father, even to the point of death. It was the glory of his grace and how he beckons sinners. Even today, he beckons sinners to come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It was the glory of his meekness and how he let the ones who he created, the ones he created, he let them whip his back and mockingly spit in his It was the glory of his forgiveness. How on the cross, when his arms stretched out, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. It was the glory of his love. And how he willingly gave his life and bore the wrath of God in the place of sinners that you and I, that we could be forgiven. And it was the glory of his divine omnipotence and how he demonstrated his victory over the forces of sin, Satan, and death in his resurrection. In short, what John and what others beheld, it was the culminating perfections of his nature and his character. It was the very glory of God, as John would say, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It was glory that left Jesus' disciples then and Jesus' disciples today confessing my Lord and my God. But as as majestic as Jesus' glory was, the truth was that this glory wasn't seen by everyone. No, in fact, some people would see the character of Jesus on full display and rather than falling on their knees and worshiping him, instead they went behind his back and started plotting on how to kill him. That's why Jesus said about those whose hearts were hardened by sin and who were blinded to his glory. He said, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts in turn. And I would heal them. In other words, the glory of Jesus, it was a spiritually veiled glory. It was a glory that couldn't be seen with physical eyes, but only with the eyes of the heart. It's a sight that only the Holy Spirit can give and awaken and illumine within the hearts of people. And as it was true then, so it is still true today. And so this morning I ask you, have you seen his glory Have you beheld the glory of the word who became flesh and dwelt among us? Have the eyes of your heart been opened to see the majesty and the beauty and the manifold glory of Christ? In short, the question is, have you been born again? 
Have you been given new spiritual life by the Holy Spirit? If not, Jesus invites you today to come to him. If you would repent and turn from your way of living for yourself, relinquish all control over your lives and surrender and trust in him, he will save you. He will give you new spiritual life. He will cause you to see his glory. And so we saw that the word became flesh. He dwelt among us. But then the next question I think we need to ask this morning is why? Why did Jesus come? Why why did he take on human flesh? Why did he dwell among us? Did he do so just to be a compelling ethics professor? To be a good moral teacher and an example for us to live and to love? Well, he did that. But that's not the ultimate reason why Jesus came to this earth. No, make no mistake and don't miss it. Jesus came to dwell with us in order to die for us. You see, the reason God became man was so that he could bring us back to God. The eternal son of God came for us to make us sons and daughters of God. Notice what John says in verse 14, that Jesus, he came to display the fullness of grace and truth. Grace and truth, John says. We live in a day and age where we want the grace, right? But we're content to leave the truth behind. Because the truth, it's just not as palatable anymore as it used to be and as grace is. And so what is the truth that Jesus came to preach? Well, from the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus preached a message of repentance. Indeed, the first words of his ministry was this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, turn from your sin, turn from living for yourself because the king of glory, he's here, he's come. The word has become flesh and he now dwells among us. And so the truth of the gospel is this. That you and I, we are sinners. Sin, sin, it's not just a little mistake that we make along the way. No, when we sin, what we are in effect doing is we are committing treason against the holy God of the universe. So when we sin, we attempt to dethrone God, our creator, as king. And we do so by trying to set up for our own selves, our own little kingdom and our own little throne for our lives. You see, sin, it's more than just missing the mark. When we sin, what we are saying to God is this. Think, appreciate it. Thank you for all those suggestions that you call your law. But, but I know a better way than you. And so thanks, but no thanks. That's what we say to God when we sin. And so I hope you see the heinous and sin-absorbed nature, or the heinous and self-absorbed nature of sin. And so the truth is, if we have committed a cosmic capital offense against God, then as a result, we are deserving of God's righteous and just punishment for sin, which is death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so that's the truth. But Jesus came not only with truth, he also came with grace for all. Do you know what the grace of the gospel is? It is summarized in these words that despite who of who we are, despite of what we have done against God, the word he still became flesh and dwelt among us. Grace incarnate has come for 
us. Jesus dwelled with us to die for us. And it is on the cross that the greatest picture of truth and grace, of love and justice, of mercy and wrath ever known to mankind, it was on the cross that it was displayed. For on the cross, God's justice was satisfied in punishing his son in the place of sinners. His truth was upheld. And it is on the cross that God's grace overflowed to fully forgive sinners like you and me. This, this is why Jesus became flesh. God became a man to redeem mankind and to bring us back to himself. And so that's why the Apostle John just couldn't get over it. He couldn't contain himself. And that's why he says in verse 16, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And so listen, as the Son of God, as he is infinite in his fullness, that means, church, that so is his grace toward you. It is infinite and it is without end. Jesus, he's not a miser with his grace. He doesn't begrudgingly give it to you. No, if you are a Christian, then every moment, by every day, he reaches out into his storehouses and he lavishes you with his never-ending grace. The Apostle Paul, he would say elsewhere that in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished Upon us. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9 that God, he's able to make all a grace abound to you. So that having sufficiency in all things at all times, you may increase in every good work. And so grace was lavished upon you. And grace is still abounding to you. For our sake, God made Christ who knew no sin. To be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Whereas scripture says elsewhere, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, for your sake, church, he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Oh, the wonderful grace of Jesus. Greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall its praises begin? Taking away my burden. Setting my spirit free. For the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. The greatest gift you could ever receive this 2023 Christmas is the free, unmerited, undeserved, unfathomable, and unending grace of Christ for you. He freely offers his grace to you if you would turn from your sin and trust in him today. Well, John doesn't end there, does he? He he continues on in verse 17. He says this, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so do you know what the tragedy is this morning? The tragedy is that Jesus Christ, he has come to this earth. He humbled himself to be born of a virgin woman. He endured all the sufferings of the cross. He did so to give his grace and his salvation as a free gift for sinners. You know, the tragedy is that that there are still billions upon billions of people living today still under 
the law. Maybe, maybe you this morning are still living under the law. Now, you may not say it like that. You may not phrase it like that. But, but if someone were to ask you this morning, why, why should you go to heaven? Maybe your answer is something along the lines of, well, I mean, I don't know, I guess because I'm generally a good person. I, I mean, I pray every now and then. I go to church. Sometimes I give some money to uh, the church. They're always asking, so I give it to them. And, uh, and, and I try to do good things for other people. But listen, while that might, that might sound good on the surface, that kind of mindset is of someone who is still living under the law. Someone who is still trying to do to earn God's favor. But James 2.10, it says that whoever keeps the whole law but fails in even one part of it, one point, then that means you become guilty of it all. It just takes a little bit of poison to kill. And so question have, have you ever given more weight in your heart to something or someone other than God? Have, have you ever done that before? If so, what does that make you? It would make you an idolater, right? Have you ever taken God's name in vain before? If so, that would make you a blasphemer. Have you ever had anger in your heart toward another person? Well, according to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he would say that, that you are in fact a murderer at heart. Have you ever looked at lust upon someone else? Jesus said that that person is acting as an adulterer. Have you ever stolen anything? What would that make you? It would make you a thief, right? And have you ever spoken a lie? Well, that, if so, that would make you a liar. And so the question is, why would you ever expect God to allow an idolatrous, blaspheming, murderer, adulterer, thief, and liar into heaven? Make no mistake, this is who you and I are, left to our own selves before God's sight. And so left to ourselves, we stand guilty, condemned, crushed, helpless, and hopeless under the weight of our sin and under the demands of the law. But this morning, Jesus is saying to you, burdened one with your sin, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The law says, do this and live. But grace says, believe Christ and live. Finally, John ends this passage in verse 18 by saying, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Earlier in verse 14, when John said that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that that word for dwell, it literally means to tabernacle or to pitch a tent. And so what John is doing and using that verb is he's recalling for us the tabernacle from the Old Testament. And so it was within this tabernacle that the Ark of the Covenant and the manifest presence of God dwelled among his people. And so as the people of Israel would wander and journey through the wilderness and as they would conquer new lands, they would set up their camp in the tent of the meeting. The tabernacle would sit in the center of the camp to symbolize God's presence among his people. And so do you see what John is conveying here? That the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. 
So how, how did Jesus make God known to us? He did so because he was the very presence of God in this world. Or as the Apostle Matthew would put it in his gospel, Jesus, he is Emmanuel, God with us. So I want to end this morning by asking you this question. Who is Jesus to you? Is he some sentimentalized, mythical figure of old? Or is he your Emmanuel? Have you confessed him as your Lord and as your God? John would say later in his gospel that these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So this sermon and these words in God's Word in scripture, it's not just things to make you feel good. No, the purpose, the whole point of it all is that your eyes would be open to the truth that you are a sinner and that you need a savior, but that Christ has come to rescue you from your sin. And so maybe you've come today, this Christmas Eve, purely for sentimental reasons. But this morning, you can leave with salvation that Jesus freely offers to you. He will have you. And he will save you if you come to him this Christmas Eve morning. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you have any questions or if we can serve you in any way, please connect with us at newlifeba.org.